Oh, happy Friday. We did it. We got here. Hey, it felt a, b- a busy week. Lots going on. Just felt like a drag, but but it's it's good to get uh, to this point. We'll get you to your weekend, Mitch Album coming up at four o'clock. Uh, in the meantime, lots of news to cover uh, and, and some consequential things going on. I, I do want to start locally um, because we just had our primaries on Tuesday. And what was it? 16 delegates, 15 delegates were awarded based on the Republican primary. But because Democrats who got control of the House and Senate for the first time in 40 years last year uh, were able to or excuse me, I guess it would uh, midterms 2022. But because they took control, they were able to move the primary into February. Well, according to the RNC's guidelines, that can't happen. And so what we saw from the Michigan GOP is they had to come up with a, a different way to award delegates. So you went out and voted on Friday as a voter, and a certain number of delegates were awarded. Then a caucus is planned for this weekend so that the rest of the delegates can be awarded. Well, there is a lot of confusion because initially there was supposed to be the convention in Detroit. There's a an, an email floating around that there's a convention in Houghton Lake. Uh, the other convention in Grand Rapids, that's being spearheaded by the chair of the Michigan GOP, Pete Hoekstra. And there's a lot of confusion on which is which and which is the right one and who, where do we go? And it, the caucus, as far as I've been able to gather from some of my sources and people I've talked to is the one in Grand Rapids. That's the one that Pete Hoekstra, the chair of the Michigan GOP, is is spearheading. So that is the caucus. But it doesn't help when there is there is just this mass confusion over the proceedings. It, it certainly doesn't help, and it, it certainly doesn't make things easier when you're trying to figure out where you need to be uh, as uh, delegates are picked. Also, breaking this afternoon, the CDC has shortened the COVID quarantine guidelines. The new guidelines for uh, viruses like RSV or flu uh, that said that people should stay away from other people. Fair enough. But if you've been fever-free without symptoms for 24 hours, then you don't need to quarantine. And that goes across uh, uh, with, with COVID as well. Because prior to these new recommendations, the CDC said people who test positive for COVID should stay home for at least five days and then isolate for at least 10 days. These new guidelines replace are, are replacing those. So... Again, in 2024, I'm not so sure that we even needed these guidelines in the first place. But if your fever is gone for 24 hours and other symptoms have improved for at least 24 hours, then you can limit contact with others. But make sure you wear your mask and make sure you test and that you that you are in ventilated spaces. It's just, you know, okay, fine. But I, I don't even know why we're at this point anyway, that the CDC is still somehow issuing guidelines for for a, 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 a virus that will just be around. It, it is just is what it is. Uh, also, down in Georgia, 
misconduct uh, allegations that have been uh, debated in court over the last couple of weeks uh, are in closing arguments. And John Merchant, he's the attorney for Michael Roman, who filed the motion to have Fonnie Willis disqualified. Um, and and not just Fonnie Willis, but the entire team, and to have and ha- and to have them taken away from this case. Now, Merchant says that there are two different types of prosecu- prosecutorial misconduct in the state of Georgia. It's the appearance of impropriety and forensic misconduct. And he says that the judge in this case uh, needs to dismiss them based on the idea that there is at least, at a very bare minimum, an appearance of impropriety here. And certainly the questions of these trips that Nathan Wade paid for. Did, did Fonnie Willis pay him back? She says she paid him back in cash, but uh, where did that money come from? I, there are a lot of questions still that I, I don't know that we ever really gotten answers to, but they're at least to me is very much at a bare minimum, uh, an appearance of impropriety. Meanwhile, uh, on another very important trial locally, the trial for James Crumbly, the father of the Oxford High School shooter, gets underway next Tuesday. And the judge in the case has handed down an important ruling that could impact the outcome of that very important case. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us with those details. Good afternoon, Marie. Hi, Chris. So a student who was injured in the school shooting will be allowed to testify in the James Crumley trial. Prosecutors had wanted to call two students. They're both now 18 years old. They wanted to call them to the stand uh, during the trial, saying they could provide important information about what happened inside the school during the shooting spree on November 30th of 2021. Judge Cheryl Matthews ruled one of those students could testify and the prosecution can pick whoever won, uh, whichever person they want to take to the stand. The defense wanted to block either one from testifying. They said the testimony would only inflame the emotions of the jury, prejudice them against their client, be needlessly cumulative, and also a waste of time. That was the words of the defense there. The judge did not agree with that. Surveillance video of the shooting provided some context, according to the prosecutor, but they also say that eyewitnesses can add important information to that picture. The judge did agree with that. Chris, uh, as we know, James Crumley's wife, Jennifer Crumley, became the first parent to be ever convicted uh, in connection to a mass shooting committed by her child. She was convicted of four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Her husband now facing the very same charges, and he has also pleaded not guilty. Pleaded not guilty. Trial, yeah. 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 And the trial, uh, oh, by the way, the trial gets started next Tuesday. I did want to remind you of that. Yeah. Next Tuesday. Um, and, mm-hmm. and there are uh, obviously the questions about about the uh, the jury in this case. James Crumbly contests that that he cannot get a fair jury trial. Uh, and the judge has has shot that down. Um, yeah. But but it does feel very much like this is an uphill climb for James Crumbly. Well, certainly, you know, now that uh, his wife has been convicted on this, um, the jury is not going to, I mean, 
they may know that or they may not. They're you know this is they're being asked to just simply look at this evidence mm-hmm. here that they're going to be presenting in this particular case. Um, I I will agree with you, but I'm going to remind you about one thing. You remember after the last trial, the Jennifer Crumley trial, that the juror uh, went uh, one of the juror, the foreman, uh, went on a couple of interviews, and she said that one of the things that really impacted the jury was seeing Jennifer Crumley being the last person to have her hands on that gun. Mm -hmm. She and her son had gone to a shooting range about four days before the shooting, and they saw surveillance video of her taking that gun out of that range. And she said, oh, I put it in my car, but it was up to my husband to take it out and secure it. You know, and the jury had a hard time with that. They they saw that gun in her hands, and she said the the jury was, that was very impactful to them. So keep that in mind. That is one thing that uh, James Crumley will not, uh, this, this jury will not be, you know, dealing with that. The, the gun was in the hands of his wife. Well, certainly. No, no, and, and these cases are, you know, while very much the same, not quite apples to apples based on some right. of the evidence that, that the prosecution brought up. But it, it does feel very much tied together in the sense that that the prosecution will paint James Crumbly, uh, I would imagine, very similar to how they 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 uh, painted the picture of of Jennifer Crumbly as a parent that was out of touch with the needs of their son, who was obviously struggling and then and then ultimately um, led to four students being killed uh, at his hands. Uh, and, and again, I'm sure the judge will remind them that. Uh, whatever evidence is brought uh, by by the prosecution or the defense in that case, that's what's to be considered in court. Uh, Marie, exactly. uh, Great stuff. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. uh, A little bit of breaking news. The president uh, has announced that the United States will begin airdropping humanitarian aid into Gaza. Certainly signals that the Biden administration and their concerns about the humanitarian issues in Gaza are are growing and the difficulties of getting aid inside the Strip, uh, th- that the United States is going to become more proactive in airdropping aid into the Gaza Strip. All right, we got to take a break. Uh, speaking of Israel, speaking of Gaza, we'll get into it a little bit next. Are people in Israel breaking with Benjamin Netanyahu? Are they looking at the way that he is handling this situation, potentially a little too heavy-handed? Talk about it next on JR Afternoon. All right, also later on this hour, Mike Rogers, former congressman, former chair of the House Intelligence Committee, will join us. We talked to Justin Amos yesterday, who who has also thrown his hat into the ring for, for U.S. Senate here in the state of Michigan, and he had some strong criticisms of Mike Rogers. So we'll talk to him coming up as well. Also, the head of the Border Patrol Union, Brandon Judd, will join us. Both Donald Trump and Joe Biden visited the southern border yesterday. We'll talk to him what it means that both uh, both the president and the former president were down there. And, and, and what is it exactly that Border Patrol needs? Is it more money? Is it more technology? Is it more people? Is it what, what is it? So we'll talk to him coming up in the three o'clock hour as well. Um, my next guest, uh, we had a nice roundtable a, a couple of months ago. Uh, with he and and his colleague, uh, Professor Said Khan, at Wayne State University, and and the tenor of that conversation, that that discussion we had here, was not only just a bit of the background 
between Israel and and the Palestinians, Israel and Gaza, and, and Israel's uh, role in the region. But then in the future, going forward, what what is to be expected? Because the the bad blood between these two groups is so deep rooted, it is so historic that it's it's very difficult, I think, for a lot of people to wrap their minds around. One thing that Howard Lupovitz said to me during that that discussion was leaders in wartime often are are very well backed by their people. But in the case of Benjamin Netanyahu, where leaders across the world are saying that Israel needs to pull back, Israel has been too heavy handed with what's going on in the Gaza Strip, that that it is possible that Benjamin Netanyahu could face some opposition from people in his own country. And in turn, uh, his political career could very much be in peril. Howard Lupovitz, the professor of historical and uh, history, rather, and a director of the Cohen Haddow Center for Judaic Studies at Wayne State, joins me once again. Professor, it's good to have you back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Is is the the support for Benjamin Netanyahu waning inside Israel? Well, well let me yes, but let me clarify because I think you it is, but I think not for the reason you suggested. Uh, most Israelis are still uh, supportive of this war. Most Israelis are in pretty uh, pretty in unison with the notion that Hamas does have to be defeated here. It has mm-hmm. to be you know ha- has to be subdued. Um, and so Netanyahu is he's he's receiving criticism, but it's not for that. It's for other reasons. And some of the reasons are uh, the fact that maybe uh, he's not negotiating enough for the hostages. It's unclear there. Also for reasons that, pre, that, that predated the war. Uh, so when the conflict eventually, when this war is eventually over, he's going to be in trouble. One of the smartest things he did at the beginning of this war was to bring in, was to create an emergency cabinet which includes Benny Gantz, who is a military expert who has who has been helping in the conduct of the war. So when you talk about the unpopularity of Netanyahu, is which is certainly growing, it's not reflecting a sense that Israelis are wanting this to end, that Israelis believe are joining in this this push for a, an abrupt ceasefire. Israelis are very much aware that, well, two things I would say. First of all, Israel can't just stop fighting and pull out sure. because simply rearm and do it again. But secondly, any kind of negotiation for a ceasefire has to begin first and foremost with a gesture by Hamas, namely releasing all of the hostages. Anytime someone says ceasefire without beginning release hostages, it's just nonsensical. In the sense that that, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu has faced opposition from inside Israel for for many years. Um, there, there has been a faction that have pushed back against against uh, his logic and his way of thinking and his way of of governing. How much does that play in to to what we're seeing uh, now of of Bibi? Uh, in some sense, it's 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 Bibi business as usual. Like I said, bringing someone else in to help him run this campaign is 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 a very important thing to do. And it was a very wise decision. He's having the same problems as he has as he had for October 7th. He has an extreme right wing faction part of his government that he is trying to keep in line. And they're always they're always, you know, Ben Gavir and Smotrich eventually and Yoav Gallant. They're always kind of troublemakers for him. They're a bugbear for him. They're a thorn that he has to deal with. 
but I think all of that is still apart from the conflict with Hamas. The war, the war with Hamas in many ways, the, the urgency of it, the, the threat that Hamas poses, the ongoing attacks, because let's keep in mind, while, while the, the main theater of the war is in Gaza, Hamas is still shooting missiles into Israel. So the, the, you know, there's, there's a bigger picture here that Netanyahu is dealing with. But yes, you're right. He is taking some criticism on these other issues, and he's going to, there is going to be a reckoning when this is over. You know, I think the, the way that President Joe Biden had kind of uh, aligned with Benjamin Netanyahu early on uh, in, the, in the immediate aftermath of what happened on October 7th, um, it was kind of a no-brainer. Of course, the United States is going to align with Israel. Of course, the United States is is and and, pre- and the president uh, would be would be in lockstep to a certain extent with Netanyahu. But a- as the months have gone on, as the issues in Gaza have gotten more dire, especially on the on the humanitarian crisis side of things, um, th- these negotiations for for that ceasefire have have changed, and and it almost feels like um, here in the United States, the president is facing um, a, a political issue where more and more people are, are, are coming around to the fact that this needs to come to an end uh, sooner rather than later, while Netanyahu seems to have a, a, a different strategy on these negotiations. Have, have, have Biden and Netanyahu diverged as these ceasefire negotiations have gotten uh, further along down the road and potentially more serious? It's a great question. I don't think they they diverged that much in the sense that at the outset they were never they were never that much on the same page, not because of the war, but because of Netanyahu's other politics. I also say that I think President Biden has threaded the needle here beautifully, and I mean one of the one of the measures of how well President Biden is handling this situation is that he's being criticized both by Palestinian Americans in the United States and by right wing Israelis. The fact that he's eliciting criticism from both sides, to me, suggests that he is doing a very good job walking this fine line, walking this middle path. He is sensitive to the plight of Palestinians. He's not green lighting Israel to, you know, to conduct this war without without any limitations. By the same token, he recognizes that uh, this is a war that Israel must fight. He recognizes that for Israel and for Israelis, this isn't this isn't some kind of uh, just you know, expedition for no reason. This is a war of survival. This, he, President Biden, I think, has done a great job recognizing that for Israel and Israelis, this is an existential moment. Sure. Because Hamas, you know, left their own devices, made it very clear they want to destroy the state of Israel. And, and, and many of their supporters echo this a lot. And President Biden is sensitive to that. But I would also say that, yes, he's also sensitive to the humanitarian crisis going on in Gaza. But he also realizes that it's not for him to tell the Israelis how to conduct that war. He recognizes the fact that what Israelis are facing is something that Israelis are facing. It's it, right it, and what is that? What what is what is the immediate aftermath look like if a ceasefire is reached, hostages are released? I, I have just thirty seconds left here, and I know that's a lot to, to fit into a small space. But but what happens in the immediate aftermath of that? What do we see? It's a great question. It's a great question, and the big question is going to be: Can the Palestinians produce leadership? That is not bent on destroying Israel. Can they produce real visionary leadership that can put the best interests of the Palestinian people ahead of this desire to destroy the state of Israel? Mm. 
Howard Lupovitz, thanks again for taking some time with us on this Friday and lending some of your expertise. Appreciate it greatly. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Always a pleasure. Yep, you got it. That's Howard Lupovitz at Wayne State University. I'd love to get your thoughts on this 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. As these negotiations uh, continue for a, a, a lasting ceasefire, the idea that that things are getting worse in the Strip is, is very real and people here in the United States are concerned about it. That and more as we continue on JR Afternoon next. All right, so the Israel stuff is there for you. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. As, as these negotiations for a ceasefire continue, there is no doubt that the, 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 non, the non-negotiable is the release of hostages. It's non-negotiable. If, if Israel is to agree to a ceasefire, it is because Hamas has released all of the hostages. And here's the, the kicker. Because I think that there's uh, the IDF or Israel or the United States has a set number of how many hostages are still alive or how many hostages have been released. They're, they're, they're putting all those numbers together. If those numbers don't match up with a release of hostages, if it, if, it, if, it, if it comes to light that some of these hostages were killed in Hamas control, well, it, it, that I imagine would, would further complicate things. But there is this sense, uh, a growing sense, at least here in the United States, that Israel has become too heavy-handed in their in their efforts to eliminate Hamas. Which, to me, I, that to me is you live in a fantasy world. Okay, I don't. I live in reality, and when you're dealing with either A, defending your your country, defending your nation, defending your people, or rebutting to an attack on your homeland, what's what's the realistic expectations about a response? A response is it's going to be heavy, it's going to be swift, it's going to be forceful. It's what we would want. If we're attacked, that's what we would want. It's what I would want. And... Is it is it reality that people are going to die? Yes, it that is reality. So I don't live in a fantasy land where people are dying. Of course they are, because this is a war. This is a brutal war. So I I, I just to me this idea of well the American viewpoint on this is changing. I don't know why, because in the immediate aftermath of October seventh a majority of the American public said, yeah, go get them. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta root them from the stem. And, and it obviously has gotten very ugly. It has gotten very messy. That's not to say that I don't feel for people that have lost their lives, feel for people that have lost children or wives or husbands or grandparents. No, that's both things can be true. I can live in a world where I know the real, the, 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 the realistic views of war while still feeling heart, I mean, I, I, my heart breaks. So I, to me, it's, it's a, it's a little nonsensical. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I got an interesting TV story I want to bring up here momentarily, but first I want to go to Jack and Macomb. What's up, Jack? How you doing, Chris? Hey, Jack. I got a question. So is it worth the U.S. destroying 
all relations with the Muslim world to protect Israel. What is the net gain for the U.S. by protecting Israel? What does the U.S. receive? Well, I guess my, I, I would I would answer your question with a question. What what parts of the Muslim world are are we jeopardizing because of because we're backing Israel? We've always backed Israel. Well, the entire Muslim world hates us, and they always have since the creation of Israel. Okay, so we then what's big, so big then role. what's so then what's the difference of the United States backing Israel post October seventh? My main concern is we're we're funding them billions of dollars in aid, giving them weapons, blah blah blah, everything they mm-hmm. need, but we receive nothing in return at all. They're just benefiting off of us. No, 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 that, no. That that's not true. So the United what's, States what's having a the United States having a strategic ally in the region is pretty important. That that that, that I mean, that's not to be oversold. That's a pretty important piece to this puzzle. That the United States has an incredible ally in the region. No, that's not that that's not worth it. That's not valuable. I we mean, a, go ahead, go ahead, Jack. Do we have a military base in Israel? Do we have a military base in Israel? Sure. No, you say we do. What? What? Where at? I don't. I don't understand. What? What's the? What's the point here? What are you getting to? Land the plane. The point is that. We are giving them hundreds of billions of dollars per year in aid, and we receive nothing. Why can't we take an America first approach and forget what's going on over there and let them hash it out instead of sending warships over to aid in an ethnic cleansing? Okay, so I don't I don't disagree with the idea of of uh, an American for an America first approach. I, I, I think that, I mean, you look at the homeless situation all across the United States. I think that's tragic. I think that, that you, you look at what happened, what's happening at the southern border. I think we're not taking an American first approach there. So I don't, I don't know that they're mutually exclusive. I don't know that, that the United States has to stop uh, uh, helping an ally. But we need to do a better job of allocating our resources here to help people here. And look, I mean, the, the the blanket giving is not something I support. I don't support blanket giving to Israel, to Ukraine, and to anybody. But but to say that we're not benefiting from that, I, I think is a grave overestimate of the relationship with, with the United States and Israel. And I appreciate the call, Jack. Real quick, Adam in Brighton. Hello, Adam. Hi there, Chris. Thank you for your time. You got it. Uh, real quick, I would. I am curious what the former, the last gentleman's position on Ukraine was. Uh, I agree with the border. There's a lot of issues there. We could easily go back to Trump's policies and fix that. Anyway, regarding Israel, um, there seems to be a huge misconception with, with the media saying a war with Gaza. It's not Gaza we're having a war with. It's Hamas. It's a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seems to be a huge issue that people aren't addressing. We're, it's not the people of Gaza. It's Hamas. And Correct. If the people of Gaza are protecting Hamas, and that's another issue we need to address. And this isn't this isn't uh, an issue with Palestinians. It's not. It's 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 Hamas. It just happens to be in Gaza, which I think is why people say that. But no, you're right. I I, I if I do it, I try to to make that correction pretty quickly. This is a war between Israel and Hamas. It just happens to be in Gaza. Adam, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Um, I do want to deviate real quickly. Uh, the AP did a, a story about TV networks are surviving with 
with basically no real valuable content, new content. They're riding the coattails of old TV shows that are in syndications, shows that have since ended. Um, and it, it made me think, you know, I still, I still pay for cable, pay a lot of money for cable. Uh, part of that is because of the sports packages that come with it because I, I watch a lot of sports. Um, but really, if you wanted any news, if you wanted any of the, the news stations, you can get it in different places. Like Brian, I know, uses uh, uh, YouTube TV. So you can get your local news, national news. I mean, I pay for HBO. HBO, if you wanted CNN, CNN is is on HBO now. So that's there. Like, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to consume content now. And it's, a, it's an interesting look because I know cord cutting has been happening for many years now. And people have cut back to try to save some money because it's, it's gotten really expensive. But it, it is an interesting thought that these networks, these, 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 uh, these cable providers are just skating off of shows that they've, they've broadcast in the past. And everything's in syndication and you just watch the stuff that's already been, been, been trotted out there. Uh, I've never thought about it like that. Well, it's all, if you look at it, you, you see stuff, ever, even like, like the Tonight Show. Watch the Tonight Show tonight or the next day on Hulu. So yeah. they're all connecting yeah, themselves so you can to just, these things. And you yeah. could just watch it the next day. Who cares? How many people you think watch that stuff the next day anyway? Oh, I watch a lot of the late night shows, but I watch them the next day when next I'm day. having dinner. Yeah. So it just, you know, it seems like in all the really good shows that are coming out, all the all the really good shows that are that are like these really like yeah, the high level yeah. good stuff. They're all it's all on Netflix, Netflix or Disney. Disney. Amazon. Yes. They're all on these streaming platforms anyway. So the money you would pay for cable, like at one point when we had cable, we were paying over two hundred dollars a month for cable. Yep. And we figured out we were using about six channels. Right. Overall. That's why we cut the cable. But now we're paying for YouTube TV. I'm paying for Netflix, Paramount Plus. Disney Plus, but the caliber of know. shows that come out of Am- that, that come out of like Amazon. Amazon or Netflix, way higher. They're way higher than coming they're out like, of it's CBS like or, a mini or movie. Fox. Yes, yes. yes. It's it, it's it's just a different product. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's these these production companies are just are just geared towards um, uh, moving over to no, not even necessarily. <laughs> it was just an interesting thought where. They're right. Like yeah, they're running off. And and even freedoms. if you watch, like my wife likes reality TV, right? Mm-hmm. So even if she watches something on Bravo or TLC, I can get all of that on on streaming platforms that I already pay for. Absolutely. Or like their, I'm or double dipping on on TV all over the place. Yeah, now that I'm a, really thinking about it, I forget what the name of the show is that Bev watches. She likes to watch it on the History Channel. Well, the History Channel is not on YouTube TV, so you just download the History Channel app on your smart your smart TV and. Watch it on their app. Right, it's you're right. There's so many places to get stuff, but for these for these uh, stations or networks to just to just run reruns, and they're like, here you go, and you know, here I am watching House Hunters uh, uh, from ten years ago. That's basically irrelevant because the market's not the same anymore. It's just it's just crazy. It's right. nonsense, but they're getting away with it. All right, we got to take a break. Mike Rogers joins me next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. We talked to. Former Congressman Justin Amos yesterday, he uh, has thrown his hat into the ring for U.S. Senate here in the state of Michigan. He had some pretty strong words 
for Mike Rogers, the former congressman, also from Michigan, from the Brighton area, uh, about his time in Congress and why he won't be the right fit for people in Michigan. I want you to listen. I'm concerned about the Bill of Rights, protecting all our rights, the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the Fourth Amendment, our right to um, be secure Mm -hmm. from unconstitutional searches and seizures. People are uh, trying to take our information now without a warrant. And this is, again, where I have a big issue with one of the other candidates um, in the race, Mike Rogers and, and Alyssa Slotkin both of whom have supported unconstitutional warrantless surveillance. So there are a lot of reasons to get into this race. And I I think when it comes to issues, my positions, my principles are more aligned with the primary voters and and also the general election voters than any of the candidates currently in the race. So with that, we felt it appropriate to give Mike Rogers an opportunity to respond to those allegations. And he he joins me. Uh, uh, Congressman, it's good to have you. Hey, Chris, it is uh, great to be here, as always. I'm sorry, what party is he running for? Yeah. He's he's running on the Republican ticket. Uh, He left the Republican Party in 2019. He voted with the Democrats more often than he voted with Republicans. He uh, tried to get the Libertarian endorsement for president in 2020, and those are the group that wants to do away with Social Security and Medicare. He's voted to defund troops. I, I don't really understand what he says, how he I, I don't know if he knows. I mean, by the way, he also voted to impeach Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this is a Republican Party. I don't know if he knew uh, maybe what party he's running from. I think it's all ridiculous. I don't think he has a chance. Uh, it is all smoke and mirrors uh, and small and pettiness. We have a huge problem, Chris. I've never seen the world in uh, such a dangerous place as it is today. Thanks a lot, by the way, to the Biden administration and Democrats. Uh, when you look at what's going on in the southern border, I, I don't believe that we can forgive Biden and the Democrats what they're doing to our country. Lincoln Riley did not have to die. That policy on the southern border and this notion that the libertarians hold that everybody can go anywhere they want is dangerous, and it's dangerous for our safety, our community safety, and it's certainly dangerous for our national security safety. And when you have the FBI saying, hey, it's not if, it's when we get hit with a terrorist attack, we have so much work to do to make sure that we have all the, the uh, resources we need in place uh, and the right decision makers to do those, uh, to make those decisions for the safety and security of the United States. And, and I, so, so you're, but you know, you're, you're traveling all around the state. What are you hearing from people? Uh, just what I talked about. There's a reason uh, that I'm up 20 points in the, in the primary poll, because they understand that I know how to fix the border. Uh, that my law enforcement experience, by the way, which is why uh, police officers all around the state are standing with me. They, they tell me, I know if you're elected, help is on the way for us. They're under siege. Uh, the military is saying, uh, veterans that I talk to say, man, I know if you get elected, help is on the way. Uh, so we feel that, uh, again, uh, that people are worried about the border. They're worried about their pocketbooks. They're worried about the economy. Uh, they're worried about the fact that they're spending $950 per month more uh, under Joe Biden than Donald Trump uh, for groceries, which is why uh, the Democrats are confounded when they run around and say, no, 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 everything's fine. Everything is not fine. These are They have moved to the coastal elites. They don't buy their own groceries. They don't pump their own gas. 
and they don't understand what's happening to Michigan families. And so when I go around the state, that's what they want. And you know what they also want? They want real solutions. There are enough grenade throwers in politics today. Uh, they don't offer any solutions. Uh, I offer solutions on every topic that I talk about. Uh, and we're going to make sure that we get America on track. And I don't have to uh, take any training. I can get going on day one when I get there. And I think people understand we have we don't have a lot of time to get this right, Chris. And we got to get after it. I mean, the national, uh, the interest on the national debt is sure. now larger than the Department of Defense. We cannot sustain this. It is not sustainable. And so they know I have, uh, you know, I'm the only guy in the race yep. to actually cut federal spending, yeah, uh, including the intelligence budget. Uh, people know that, and sure. we're having great conversations. People are feeling, I think, comfortable yeah. with my candidacy and ready to get on board. Well, very good. Uh, I'm glad you were able to take a couple minutes with us today. I appreciate it, and, and we'll catch up again very soon. I know there's a lot of other big issues, so we'll talk about that next. Sounds great. All right, that's Mike Rogers as we continue on JR Afternoon. 3 o'clock hour, getting you ready for your weekend. Mitch Album coming up at 4 o'clock. Uh, by the way, I do have some Jim Gaffigan tickets for you coming up at 348, so we'll do it towards the end of the show. Uh, but Jim Gaffigan, uh, Gaffigan going to be in town November 22nd at the Fox Theater. So we'll we'll, we'll g- give you an opportunity to win those tickets coming up at 348. Uh, also, coming up at 318, the president of the National Border Patrol Council, the union that represents Border Patrol agents, Brandon Judd, will join me. Donald Trump. Joe Biden, both down at the border yesterday. Um, What I want to know is what do they need? What do Border Patrol agents need in order for it it to be easier to do their job? So we'll talk to him about it. We'll talk. We'll get his perspective on the president's uh, visiting the southern border yesterday. Uh, Also, a couple of other things happening. Want to make you aware of the CDC has changed their their covid quarantine guidelines. Uh, The guidelines for uh, respiratory viruses like the flu, RSV, covid say that you should stay home and away from other people. uh, But as basically as long long as you're fever free for 24 hours, then you don't need to quarantine. Uh, if you limit contact with other people. So it, a, a, a bit of a change for the CDC as it comes to some of these uh, viruses floating around. Also, Fonnie Willis uh, closing arguments today down in Fulton County and whether or not she and Nathan Wade, the prosecutor who she hired to lead the case, uh, will be taken off of it because of these questions of impropriety uh, and the, the the defense of Fonnie Willis saying that there was uh, no improper benefits given to her or Nathan Wade, that their personal uh, uh, romantic relationship didn't uh, cross over into the work that they were doing. Uh, but but those that that brought the charges here, including John Merchant, who's representing Michael Roman, uh, one of the, def- the the uh, the the those that are facing charges in this case. um say that that there is two different types of prosecutorial misconduct in Georgia. One of them is the appearance of impropriety, the other forensic misconduct. To me, there is at least a, an appearance of impropriety. Is that going to be enough? Will the judge uh, look at it that way in this case? We'll see. Uh, but we're talking about a couple of different things today. Obviously, the situation in Israel, uh, 
the initial issue that I raised in the two o'clock hour was, is the sentiment for Benjamin Netanyahu changing in Israel? As cease talk negotiations continue, uh, certainly from Israel's perspective, there will be no ceasefire until hostages are released. Um, But as the humanitarian issues become more dire in the Gaza Strip, is Benjamin Netanyahu facing uh, a little more scrutiny inside of Israel? And the answer is yes and no. Um, And if you missed our conversation with Howard Lupovitz at Wayne State University, I would encourage you to head on over to WJR or or thegreatvoice.com to check that out. Uh, In the meantime, we do have a couple calls. I want to get to those. Let's go to Francis in Gross Point. Hello, Francis. Hi, Chris. Um, My point here, and I won't be too long, there is a huge, horrid parallel in history uh, with what occurred in the uh, Roman Republic in the mid-300s. Historian Jacques Legoff, in his book about 400 to the year 1500, Mm -hmm. uh, stated, it was famine that drove them to the Roman, to the broken Roman borders. And under the Emperor Valens, they were soon disposed to welcome the people who pressed at their gate. And then they were turned into soldiers and peasants. And the emperors who practiced such policies were not regarded by the traditionalists. Mm. And then the blindness of Valens in 376 organized the crossing of vehicles to transport the horde and diligent care was taken that no future destroyer of the Roman state should be left behind, even if he were smitten by fatal disease with such stormy eagerness. On the and so part, where are you reading this from Francis? From the book, uh, medieval civilization by Jacques Legoff. Who okay. Wrote in the year All right. Well, we'll, we'll take a look at it. I mean, I, I think there probably are certain parallels uh, throughout history. Uh, certainly. I appreciate the call. Uh, in the meantime, according to a Census Bureau January 2024 survey, the percentage of people experiencing anxiety, depression remains double that of pre-pandemic levels. And doctors say that could be one of the reasons why we're seeing the numbers of suicides, drug overdoses at record levels in the United States. WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne joins us and says that changes in how we view mental health could end up helping millions of people who suffer from mental health issues. Hi, Marie. Hi, Chris. So we know that during the pandemic, people were pushed into isolation and the normal support systems that were supposed to be there to help. Well, they simply were not there. Research finds that across all ages, over a fifth of adults and more than a third of those under 30 report feeling anxious or depressed. And many of those people are now actually seeking help. USA Today did some research of medical data. It found that mental health-related prescriptions rose 12% from 2019, and that outpaced the less than 1% growth in overall prescriptions. Here's an example. Zoloft and its genetic counterpart, which are the most common antidepressant medications right now, rose more than 17% since 2022, and there were also sharp increases in the ADH drugs, Concerta, and Adderall. Even before the pandemic, the use of mental health drugs were on the rise, and that was due to more affordable medication options and greater acceptance of mental health treatment. Experts say the pandemic 
coupled with the heightened awareness of mental health, the development of generic mental health medications, as well as the advent of telehealth, they're all contributing to an increased use of these drugs. Many in healthcare, Chris, say that the idea is that we should be thinking of mental health problems no differently than a physical health condition, and that that idea is finally catching on. Mm. I think that uh, uh, makes the most sense is if you're able to check in once a year, uh, you, you do that wellness check, and hopefully you catch some things before they get more serious. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank All right. In the meantime, uh, coming up next, we'll have Brandon Judd. He's the president of the National Border Patrol Council, the union who represents Border Patrol agents. Uh, real quick, before we go to break, I want to get Dave in Rochester. And hello, David. Hey, Chris. How are you? Good. Uh, yeah, first uh, first of the side with Mike Rogers. Uh, <laughs> grocery food at home is 1.445, 1.445 the last 12 months. Okay, overall, cer- certainly it's more, but overall, the incomes, wages, whatever you want to call it. All right, it, Dave, Dave, hold on. I'm, I'm up against it. I'm up against okay. it. I want you to get to your point before we let you go. Okay, well, uh, my point is you brought up American first. Is this the same American first that? thinks that the federal government's paying a quarter of its whole budget to federal aid. It thinks it only should be 10 when in actuality it's really only paying 1%. No. Anyone that doesn't believe in NATO, like, like it's like Trump was saying until it's no, no. What I think office, America like, first, when I think America first, I think of our homeless population that is ballooned out of control. I think. Okay, and how, and how, and how is spending, how do you think, how, how do you think throwing money at homeless is going to help? I, I don't know. I don't have that answer. But I, I, I would I would prefer that we try to do something than not. I'd prefer that instead of just moving homeless people around San Francisco so Xi Jinping can come into town and, and everything's nice and tidy, I'd prefer that we try to do something that would make a longer-lasting impact than not. Uh, or Or cities putting up uh, migrants from the southern border instead of taking care of people in their own community. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't have that answer. I don't know what, what it would mean to throw money at it. I don't think we should throw money at it long term. But I do believe that that there are answers there. Um, and, and I think we, in some cases, are spending our money unwisely. I appreciate the call, Dave. Got to take a break. More next. You know, I think if you're dealing with an issue, whatever that issue is, you want to make sure you get the full scope of the problem in order to fix it. Right, Whether it's your car, your dishwasher, whatever it is. You want to make sure that you get to the the core of the problem so that you can address it in a proper way. Well, yesterday, President Joe Biden was down at the southern border, as was former President Donald Trump. Donald Trump went to Eagle Pass. That generally uh, has been kind of ground zero for a lot of the migrant crossings that we've seen recently, where in Joe Biden's case, he was in Brownsville, where there is a significantly less traffic of migrants coming across the border there. Uh, I'm interested to get a border, uh, uh, border Patrol agent's perspective on what happened. It's why we call on Brandon Judd. He's the president of the National Border Patrol Council, uh, the union that represents those very Border Patrol agents that are, are uh, seem to be snowed under with people coming across the southern border every day. Brand, it's great to have you. Good to be with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, talk to me a little bit about first uh, Donald Trump's visit down to, to Eagle Pass yesterday. Did you have an opportunity to meet with him? 
Oh yeah, I was I was with him. Um, okay. I spoke, he he called on me to speak uh, at the press conference. Um, I'm, I'm the one. I was one of the ones that was giving a briefing on uh, what he the, the policies that he implemented and how Greg Abbott uh, has used those policies and expanded upon them to secure Shelby Park, the epicenter of the border security crisis, for the past uh, two years. Um, so he got to he got a firsthand view of exactly what needed to be done, how you can expand upon them, how you can take those policies, um, that infrastructure, and move it across the border to other uh, other locations um, that we're having a very difficult time with. Uh, you, know, you know, he it's something that he's going to be able to take away, um, and he's going to be able to, to look back on and say, okay, this is what needs to be done. This is how we can control certain areas. And if we can control certain areas, we can then dictate where illegal border crossings take place. And if we can do that, then we can be a lot more successful. We can apprehend and seize a lot more of the drugs coming in. We can um, apprehend more of the the known the, the people on the terrorist watch list that are coming in. We can do that. We can keep a lot more criminal aliens out. We need to be able to be successful. But to do that, we have to be able to, to dictate to the cartels where they're going to cross, not allow the cartels to dictate to us. And that's exactly what he saw firsthand. Um, and and that's and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm jumping into I'm probably still in your thunder, but that's what Joe Biden failed to see. So so what did he see in Brownsville uh, from, from your perspective? Absolutely nothing. Uh, first and foremost, he, he, he talked to very few people um, that are dealing with this problem firsthand. Um, he wasn't able to go out and see uh, the problems that he's caused. You know, you, you've got to, you know, you, you set this up perfectly. Um, if you have a broken dishwasher, you're not going to go look at a at a fixed dishwasher. You're going to look at the you're going to look at the the actual problem. Um, you're going to see the parts that are needed um, to fix it. You're going to look at um, um, uh, how you take it apart, how you put it how you put it back together. And he did none of that. Uh, what he did was was purely for show. He's uh, we know we we I, I hate rhetoric. I I, I just hate it. I, I like looking at actual evidence. We know that, that this problem is his fault. Um, Secretary Mayorkas said at the beginning of this administration that they repealed more uh, policies from the Trump administration than he can count. It would take him a lot longer than it was given on the program to, to discuss all the policies mm-hmm. that he repealed. And it was, it, it was because of those policies that he repealed that we've seen um, the huge uh, – uh, influx in the number of people that are crossing our borders illegally. We've seen a huge influx in the criminal cartels that are operating, that are operating both on the on the Mexican side and here in the United States as well. And so, you know, when you look at that, when you look at the actual evidence, you have to point your finger and say, look, it's your, it's your fault. What are you going to do to fix it? He gives us nothing but rhetoric rather than discussing actual evidence. Did you get a, an invite from the White House to to attend that uh, that that visit? No, and that's one of the things that I really do not like uh, about President Biden. If you do not agree with him, if you do not agree with his positions 100 percent, he completely and totally cuts you out. I I supported Secretary Mayorkas' confirmation. Um, He was good when he was with uh, Jay Johnson under the Obama administration. We thought that he would be a good secretary here. Um, I spoke with him on multiple occasions. I gave him um, uh, policies that he could implement. I gave him operations that he could implement, and I stayed within Biden's parameters. When, when Biden ran for president, he said that he was going to repeal Remain in Mexico. We knew that. We knew that from the get-go. 
Um, so staying within the parameters that he set forth, I gave him everything that he needed to do. He refused to listen to any, any of it. He refused to implement any of those programs because it went against his open border base. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's just it, if you don't agree with him 100 percent, he's not going to invite you to do anything. And let's let's, you know, contrast that with President Trump. President Trump knows darn good and well that I supported that border bill. He knows that I think that there was a lot of good in that border bill. Mm. Um, did you tell did him that? Support that. Uh, yeah, he, he knows exactly yeah. where I stand and, and I know exactly where he stands. You know, and, and I understand his reasoning and he understands my reasoning, yet he still meets with those people. He can he can work with individuals that do not see, you know, everything in the same scope. Uh, you know, and that that's I think that's very important for independent voters to understand that. We know where Democrats are going to vote. We know where Republicans are going to vote. What it, what we don't know is where the independents and the independents mm -hmm. need to understand and recognize that this is an individual that can work with anybody. You do not have to agree with him 100% like it is with Joe Biden. You can have policy disagreements. You can have those robust conversations. Um, you can do that to to arrive at the at the proper at sure. the, the, the right conclusion. You know, and, and so that's one of the things that I really like about this president. Well, I'll, I'll tell you well, about the, former president. Sorry. Sure. No. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, here in Michigan, obviously, we're not impacted like like other states, uh, certainly like Texas or, or places that have, that these migrants have been bused to, like Chicago or New York City. But but this is an, a big issue here in the state of Michigan, because in Eagle Pass, when that bridge was closed down, um, we're, we lost fifty million dollars of commerce every day. It was closed yep. with auto parts yep. on 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 trucks yep. that were coming up this way. We've had uh, groups of of uh, home burglars uh, from Honduras that are uh, 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 targeting affluent communities here in Southeast Michigan and Metro Detroit. So we're seeing the impacts in different ways, and it is a, a huge issue for us here in Michigan. Still, uh, it's becoming a, a bigger issue for voters. I I'm curious to know what you need. Because is it more money? Is it more no, people? No. What What is it no, th that would make this not. job easier for your agents? It, it really ticks me off when we try to pass the buck onto the, to the American taxpayer. Um, when we have to look at policy first. Policy should always come before we, we, we talk, start talking about spending money. Um, we, we, you know, that, that's, that's putting the cart before the horse, and we just can't do that. Um, if you would, if, if this, this president would give me the proper policies, I could secure the border tomorrow. Again, we, we don't need more agents. We've already secured the border with the number of agents that we currently have. We don't need more infrastructure. We've already secured the border with the infrastructure that we have, technology. All of those things cost billions upon billions of dollars. And then when you hire more agents, and again, I'm a union, and I'm not even asking you for more <laughs> agents, for heaven's sake. Um, you know, what we need is policies. And if he would give us the proper policies, we could secure the border tomorrow. And by the way, it doesn't cost the taxpayer a dime. Mm. Brandon Judd, uh, I appreciate your time very much. I I, uh, I hope you'll you'll come back again uh, because obviously this issue continues to be a big issue for voters, and uh, in Michigan it's going to uh, be a, an issue as well. I appreciate the time. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Yep, you got it. That's Brandon Judd, the president of the National Border Patrol Council, uh, the union that represents Border Patrol agents down at the southern border. Got to take a break. All right, eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven eight hundred eight five nine zero WJR. Just. Uh keeping track of my stuff here because I've got tickets to give away coming up at 348. Jim Gaffkin coming to town. Uh, 800-859-0957. You can call or text that number. 
I want to squeeze a text in here before we go get back to the phones here, Brian. What do we got? <laughs> Patrick and Monroe, you'll like this, Chris. He says, Chris, I would like to organize another Republican convention this Saturday. Yeah. Can we use your house as a meeting? Uh, hell yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Come on over. We'll put up a tent. I'll get the kids' kiddie pool out. We'll <laughs> barbecue some hot dogs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Deal. We'll do the whole thing. We'll we'll get all the delegates. <laughs> Patrick will be on his way over. We'll all join you. Jeez, oh, Parker will come over. Yeah, I um, it, it's it's a little ridiculous. Um, it's a little ridiculous. But look, this is what you get. Um, and Christina Caramo removed, uh, voted out, and then that goes to court. Judge makes a decision, and now it's. It's trying to pick up the pieces. I mean, it's it, it's it's almost like in the fall when you're um, you know you're getting ready to do your leaves. Like you just don't know where to start. It's like I don't know where to go. Yeah. Do I start over there? Do I go over here? Where do I go? Is and this it, is this the new mo for everybody now that if you lose something, you just declare no, I didn't lose, and keep pushing forward? Is that I don't like know. the new thing to I do? I think it depends. I mean, I think Christina Caramo looked at it and thought it was. It was potentially close enough in the bylaws to say, well, maybe this isn't but everybody, legitimate. Everybody has a reason. Everybody has the excuse or the reason. Nobody nobody ever just bows out gracefully and says, I'm sorry, you won. Well, you know, and in the I midterms, there was none of this. Win. I mean, in the midterms, there was none of this. I mean, everybody who lost, well, that's lost. True. That's true. Well, I mean, I, I Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake didn't lose. Remember, she... That was part of the midterms, right? Uh, yes. And was that lose. midterms? I believe so. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. but Yeah. I just feel like it's the kind of the new MO is I don't lose. And then I stamp my little feet until everybody goes, okay, you didn't lose. We'll let you do whatever you want to do. Yeah, now. I don't know. I mean, I, I, am I, I think that's a little overplayed. I mean, and, and it's probably a little bit under the microscope, right? If, some, if one person does it, then all of a sudden it's an indictment on everybody. I'm so. sure there are reasons to say I didn't lose and to ask for a recount. Absolutely. And that's legitimate. Sure. But if everybody does it every time they lose, it does become overused. And it's like, come on now, are we doing this every time? Yeah. I'd say it's like there's no real downside. You know, worst case scenario, you still lose. Best case scenario, some miracle happens. Well, I think it, it depends. I mean, it, it all it all is dependent on how big of a margin, right? If you're within a certain margin, Michigan, it's going to automatically trigger a recount, or you can ask for a recount. Um, so, I mean, it, I think it's margins. I think it depends. You know, if you're if you're if you're if you lose a, a vote by forty points, there's you you don't really have much of a runway <laughs> to to. Uh, to throw out that that you didn't you didn't actually lose. Uh eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven. Gene's in Ann Arbor. Hello, Gene. Oh, we lost Gene. Let's go to Dude in Detroit. Hello, dude. Hey, enjoyed your last commentary. And I really think that, you know, if you if you feel like you got legitimately screwed for one reason or another from your bid, you, you should fight for it. I Absolutely. think that there's a way to do it. Yeah. But um I wanted to comment on the Amash exchange with uh with you and rogers i didn't listen to the amash interview yesterday but i know enough of his policies to know where he stands he doesn't change much um and and i have a concerns with both which first would you agree that both of those candidates probably have the most name recognition of of all the republicans i i certainly think mike rogers probably has the most name recognition yes yeah so my you know my concern i mean i don't amash, know obviously. i mean look you, if, if you're going on the republicans are you just talking about republicans Republican. I mean, so you've got you've got Peter Meyer, who just lost uh, his reelection bid, uh, and you've got Mike Rogers, and you've got 
and you've got Justin Amash. Those were probably the three biggest. And I know Sandy Pensler's in. He he ran before, but I would say those three probably have the the, the largest name recognition. Well, I guess my concern with the two of them, and it kind of ties into your your topic today anyway about you know Israel interventionism, uh, our our involvement, and I just think people have had enough of the interventionism, and I'm almost wondering if you know because Rogers never really addressed directly Amash's critique of him because he did vote for the Patriot. He is kind of a interventionist guy, and I'm always when I think of people in public service, I always think of those who are willing to sacrifice essential liberty for perceived security, right? Deserve neither and lose both. I mean, we hear that all the time, right? Famous quote. And I just feel like Rogers is one of those guys that is going to ask us, as he has in the past, to sacrifice a little bit of liberty for security. Whereas Amash is going to say, hey, look, what got us into this quagmire in the first place? Maybe we should change direction so we can avoid having to react to everything all the time. And I just want to get your thoughts on it. No, I, I don't. I, I think if you're in a constant state of of reactionary action, um, it's a brutal way to, to live. I mean, it's a brutal way to constantly just figure out ways to get out of a jam or 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 to to plot your way or spend your way out of a situation that that I don't think is ever the answer. What, what I what I really think we, we need to be doing is probably some I mean, you're You're always going to have that that ability or have that, that chance of being reactionary. But I, I, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't know that that's the way we, we need to operate. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a, that, that's a concern. And I just hope that going forward, I think people are kind of catching on that they're tired of the same old, same old, and they were just constantly reacting and not looking at our policies to begin with to see what we might change to avoid some of these quagmires that just seem to go on endlessly. Well, and our so. civil liberties that that are most, uh, you know, wh- whether it's um, whether it's free speech or whatever. I mean, all of these that are attacked or or that that are potentially up for, uh, you know, that that some view as being under attack. What, what we don't what we, we, we need to make sure that we are we are constantly um, affirming and strengthening all of those. And, and I think multiple things can happen at the same time. And, and dude, I appreciate the call. We, we, we can be steadfast in our, in our ability to maintain our, our strong liberties while, uh, you know, it's, it's walking and chewing gum at the same time. So I, I think there's, the, the, there's something to be said for that as well. Gene's in Ann Arbor. Hello, Gene. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Today? Hey, what's up? Hey, uh, you know, the caller that called in from uh, the, the Border Patrol, uh, when he talked about uh, President Biden not wanting to work with him or agreeing with his policies, uh, I think Donald Trump does the same thing. He, he belittled people if he didn't uh, toe the line for him. He, uh, he didn't want to hear other opinions because he always thought he was right. So I, I got a feeling that anybody in power is going to want to have it his way or the highway. So I don't think that there's much of a difference between Biden and, and Trump when it comes to those opinions. Well, maybe not. Um, I guess my thing is the, 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 what I would want in a leader is even if you don't agree, you got to hear me out. And I think that's, that's number one. But number two is if you are able to swallow your pride or if you're able to swallow that, and say, yeah, you know what? This is a better way to do it. Let's do that. Let's do it that way. That to me is the real sign of a leader. 
that to me is is the, is the real sign of of somebody n- not caring necessarily about which which road to travel but what 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 gets us there fastest what is the safest way to go and and what what's most fruitful and I, you know i i guess i look at the way that joe biden has operated i mean they weren't even using the word crisis until 2 weeks ago or whatever it was I mean, it's been pretty recent. And the reality is this has been uh, somewhat of a crisis for years now. So uh, the 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 obstinance of recognizing a problem is also not something that I'm totally into either. I, I think that if there is an issue, you need to figure out the way forward. You need to figure out the solution. If that's your solution, great. If it's not, I, I probably wouldn't go out and pimp myself out on TV and talk about how we, you know, got rid of so many uh, laws or rules that the last guy had in place. I mean, to me, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. Gene, I appreciate the call. Got to take a break. Steve Courtney joins me next here on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. Need you to be caller number nine at 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Comedian Jim Gaffigan in town November 22nd at the Fox Theater. Pair of tickets up for grabs to see Jim Gaffigan when he brings his Barely Alive tour to Detroit's Fox Theater Friday, November 22nd. Caller 9, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. For a bonus chance to win, text the keyword FUNNY to 800-859-0957. Official rules at WJR.com. Tickets on sale starting at 10 a.m., Oh, they were on sale now. Today's Friday, March 1st. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster or Ticketmaster.com. Uh, all right, Friday, Steve Courtney joins us. Hello, Stephen. Happy Friday to you. Back at you there, Chris. Hello again, everyone. Uh, this Friday conversation brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Uh, disappointing night for the winged wheelers last night. Six-game winning streak snapped on the island. Uh, back on the home ice to stack some more W's that tomorrow afternoon. My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their TrueView inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Oh, Chris, everybody, uh, the NFL scouting combine going on as we speak in beautiful Indianapolis. That will be going on through Monday. Wanted to talk to you, Chris, about your boy, J.J. McCarthy, mm-hmm. formerly the quarterback of your Michigan football Wolverines. Here's the deal, and it's kind of interesting. He made 654 pass attempts in his two years as a starter. Uh, we know under Jim Harbaugh it was indeed a run-heavy offense. He had 713 pass attempts in his college career. Now, by comparison, Washington's Michael Penix Jr. had at least 550 attempts in each of his past two seasons. USC's Caleb Williams had one season of 500 attempts, and North Carolina's Drake May had a season of 500 attempts to go along with 425 last season. Uh, But know this, McCarthy is the number 23 player on Mel Kuyper Jr.'s latest big board. Uh, He led the Wolverines to 27 wins in his 28 career starts. That includes that big win over Washington to secure Mm -hmm. the national championship. Uh, The tale of the tape is this. J.J. McCarthy, 6'3", 202 pounds, and he's got some mobility uh, to throw in there. Ran for a combined 508 yards in his two years as a starter to go along with eight rushing touchdowns. Um, Do you think 
there are going to be some NFL teams, Chris, that take a look at his pass attempts and say, well, there's really not a whole lot to go on here. Or uh, does his number stand alone? Well, I would tell you this. Um, to me, J.J. McCarthy could be this year's Anthony Richardson. Remember the Colts took Anthony Richardson number four overall. Sure. He shot up the draft boards. He was he played his college ball at Florida. But there were some questions about him. Not necessarily that he could throw the deep ball because he could, but some of the intermediate stuff is where a lot of the questions surrounded uh, Anthony Richardson last year. Uh, he came out and performed very well. He had his his uh, year cut short because of injury. Yes. But, but he shot up the draft boards. I, I kind of look at J.J. the same way where – he makes some incredible throws, some really high-level NFL throws. And for every one of those, he throws a couple question marks or he throws a couple stinkers. And and for a guy that didn't really throw, as you pointed out, a lot of balls in his collegiate career, he is a winner. He is mentally tough. And, and I, I understand why organization scouts are going to like him. I I have a difficulty seeing how he is a, you know, mid to early first round pick, but man, this stuff is so crazy. The 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 way that scouts look at and evaluate these players nowadays, it's just it's a little untraditional. And and in some cases, like we've seen Brad Holmes, he's been able to flourish because of it. Well, just to piggyback on what you were talking about, Chris, uh, when asked to give a scouting report on himself, this is what McCarthy said today. Tough, gritty guy who only cares about winning at the end of the day. Loves the game of football with a burning passion. Loves his teammates, pretty much everything you want in a starting quarterback. Uh, Mm. So let the salesmanship begin. And listen, in the time we have left, um, there is some uh, interesting stuff going on with college football. There's been meetings going on during this week and uh, the powers that be how about this are expected to finalize maybe as early as today this according to yahoo sports uh recommendations to adopt the expected player to coach helmet communication system love it not done use of tablets on the sideline and halftime and how about this chris a two-minute warning in college football huh yes sir I'm about it. I like that. Uh, Just becoming more and more like the NFL every day, and why not? Uh, College football for the longest time, uh, you can call it the minor leagues Mm -hmm. of the NFL uh, if you'd like. Um, But these uh, implementations are just mirroring what the big league does, and, uh, you know, there you have it. Well, I look, I I think the helmet, the, the, the helmet, Mike is is it's been well. It's, a no-brainer. it's, it's long overdue. I mean, look, I, I know I know the Michigan stuff kind of brought that to light, but it, it just makes so much more sense. Um, and as KB uh, uh, joins us, uh, this uh, this uh, hold on, can we get his mic up? Thank you, please. Um, the uh, the the NCAA considering a two minute warning in college. Do you like that? Oh, uh, sure. Make the game longer. We need more commercials. Why not? Oh, jeez. Why not? Oh, no, no, that we, is like we don't have anything else to do on Saturday afternoon, right? That is the nature of the beast. <laughs> That's uh, all it's about. You know, I got nothing else to do. I got to watch football. Do you think about this as an adult human being? If you know that a clock is ticking and you see three minutes, you know in a minute it's going to be two minutes, right? Do you really need oh, yeah, a warning? Sure. Do you really need a warning? I don't know. <laughs> I like it. What's it for? 
Well, you stop the clock. Well, I mean, but think about it. Why do you need to be warned at two minutes? Well, it's it's that's I mean, at the NFL, that's what it's. Been. I know, but even then, why do you need to be warned at two minutes? You know what? You don't. I, I, you it's don't. just one of those things. That's yeah, it's been just in something place they've been doing. It. Now. Right, they've been doing it forever. They just let's keep doing it. Again, it's a commercial break. Yeah, guaranteed. But as far as the uh, player to coach helmet communication system, I mean, this is uh, you know you've had the technology for how long, and uh, you know it is kind of sad that. Uh, if a youngster was hoping to be the next Connor Stallions, you're pretty much unemployed. But right. the uh, the the fact of the matter is, <laughs> you know, you've got this uh, at your disposal. Of course, you should use it. Why is the well, two minute warning a thing? Well, so the, the two minute warning came into effect in the NFL because back in the olden days they didn't have clocks in the stadiums. So it was literally to warn that the teams that there was there two minutes so left just, in the half. We just gonna continue this. Yeah, sure. I'll tell you another thing too. Do we really need the ten yard chain? If the world of technology has oh, no. opened up, do no. we really need a chain and a guy running it out to the field? I've heard that they said that, that they're working on for, now. They're working on a, one that they can do electronically. Those are more for like people in the stands. That's what that's no, what somebody that, that, told that, me. No, once. just people in the stands can't even see it. It's stupid. Yeah, I'll bet it does go electronic. I I hope it does. I think it would be. You can really put a chip cooler. in the football, and every for time sure. it crosses a goal line or something, sure. you can know automatically if it goes. Yeah, across. the lights are. Uh, it does. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, no, I agree. Come on, let's, let's update. Well, this. you're talking about technology. Where the hell will we be without the yellow line? Uh, fair enough. Where would we oh, be? Oh, go to YouTube and look at a game from like 30 years ago on TV. On, it's on, brutal. It's brutal watching brutal. those games. Now, the yellow line is, I love it. All right, Stephen, have a nice weekend. We'll catch you, you next week. You guys do the same. Always right. a pleasure, fellas. All right, Mitch Album and the crew coming up next. KB, hanging around. Hanging around. All right, have a nice weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday.